Good morning, Crossroads. Good morning. Uh, well, thank you for being here this morning. For those of you who are watching online, would you uh, please drop a line of comments? Let us know you're joining us this morning. For everyone that's here this morning, would you please stand?
Amen. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? Let's thank our great God. Worship Him and thank Him today. You may be seated, please. We'd just like to take a moment and welcome everyone here. We're so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time here, we'd like to invite you to stop by our Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. We'd just like to say thank you for being here. Just a few brief announcements today. First of all, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who uh, was able to serve at our Trunk and Treat. We had an incredible Trunk and Treat. I think there were almost 60 cars out there that were handing out candy. That's a whole lot of people from our church. Thank God for that this morning, right? And uh, in addition to that, we had a team making hot dogs and doing all kind of things, serving people. Somebody told me they made over 900 hot dogs, which that's incredible. Isn't that awesome? And, and I only had one, so that tells you something there, okay? And, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, I sat out there and I greeted all the people as they came in. We had more than 600 kids show up. So, yeah. Then you add in adults and grandparents, I think it's 1.5 million that were here, okay? So there was a whole lot of people. We had over 1,000, 1,200 people here. So we are just so thankful for you who served in the church. You weren't just going to church. You were the church. You said, I'm going to be the church. And you showed up, and you did it powerfully, and we thank God for our church. Isn't Crossroads a great family, man? I thank God for the family that God's given us here today. Just uh, just a few announcements as we continue on here. Coming up, we have our Operation Christmas Child. You'll notice the red boxes in the foyer. If you'll take one of those red boxes home, there's directions inside how to pack it. I want to encourage you, bring all these goodies back and pack it, and we're sending them all around the world. Missionaries take them. They hand them out to kids, kids who are in need, families who are in need all around the globe. And, uh, and then they give them Jesus. And so it's a big, powerful way. I encourage families to take that box, pack it, pray over it. Teach your kids what it's like. Go to the dollar store with them. Help the kids, your kids pack it. Put it in this box, and you pray over it at home. And then bring it into the church November 14th through the 22nd. There will be two Sundays there, the 14th through the 22nd. You can bring them in, and uh, you'll see trucks here loading up all these things that are going to go all around the world. And it's a, a wonderful impact. Deb Metcalf has set a goal of 1,500 boxes out of our church. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for her faith. Isn't she a powerful lady, you know? So we want to thank God for that today, all right? So uh, then you'll notice there's a packing party in your bulletin. There's a packing party November the 14th. Um, uh, show up here and be a part of that packing party. That'll be in the gymnasium. That's a Sunday afternoon. I believe it's 4 to 6 p.m. They have supplies, and we'll need to be able to pack other boxes. So I'm going to encourage you to come and, uh, and be a part of that. That's a fun time. Notice it's 4 o'clock because you know what's done by 4. The Steeler game is done by 4. So you can come and help pack, all right? So that'll be at 4 o'clock, and service is done by 12. See how convenient we do that, you know? Or by 12.30 sometimes. Anyhow, so, uh, but uh, we're, we're thankful to God for, for our church family, and we want to we encourage you to be a part of these things. Thanksgiving Eve communion service will be coming up. That's the night before Thanksgiving. We want to encourage you to mark that on your calendar. It's hard to talk about Christmas because I know you're handing out candy at your house tonight, right? But uh, I want you to know coming up December 2nd and 3rd, we have our Christmas tour of Ernie Haas coming, a jazzy little Christmas. It's our Christmas concert and dessert. It's only $10. If you go to the website and use the discount code CRSMIN.com, it's only $10. These guys are a Grammy-nominated uh, Grammy and Dove Award-winning group. 
they will be here. If you go to the next town and see them, they're $40 at the next town. So I want to encourage you. This is an incredible deal to be here. It's only $10, and bring a friend. Bring somebody who needs Jesus. They will hear about the love of Jesus, and they'll have an opportunity to trust Christ. So we're going to have signature sound, Ernie Hawson's signature sound. You go in the gymnasium afterwards, and we have signature desserts. How about that? Signature sound, signature desserts. And you know what I'm talking about there. All right. So the last but not least is the birthday gift of Jesus. I want everyone, if you would, open the bolt and then take out that paper there. Um, this year we've set a new goal. Our goal is $100,000 that we're going to ask to uh, ask God to provide and send out to the missionaries. You'll notice we had to use longer paper this year because the list is growing, and God is giving us uh, an incredible way to make an impact around the world. So uh, you'll notice on there is the Light of Life Rescue Mission. Uh, John Mamenis is up there. John uh, serves at the Light of Life Rescue Mission. Let's thank God for John Mamenis, man. We love you, man. Last uh, last Sunday, he was outside, and I forgot to announce it in the service, okay? I come out, and I'm like, oh, I forgot the hot dog truck. They had the rescue dog hot dog truck. We don't always have a hot dog truck at the end of the ramp, okay? That was for the Light of Life Rescue Mission. The rescue mission owns that and operates it. 100% of what you put into there went to the rescue mission. And so I'm pretty excited about what happened here last week. We were able to help the mission. Additionally, they're on our birthday gift to Jesus for another $1,500 that we'll be helping the, the, the uh, Light of Life Rescue Mission. We'll be helping the Washington City Rescue Mission. There's a number of local projects, and there's projects all around the world. We have people in the Philippines orphans in the Philippines that we'll be feeding. We're going to feed orphans down in Haiti, orphans down in Ecuador. People all around the world will be touched by the generosity of our church. So how do we get there? Here's what we do. We pray. We ask God. I want to encourage everyone in our church to take this list home and begin to pray. Seek the Lord daily. And let's ask the Lord, God, what would you have me give? This is over and above our tithes and offerings. We're giving a special gift. And so I always encourage people, make Jesus the top of your birthday gift, the top of your Christmas gift. It's his birthday, right? So you want to make him the top. And so we just, you know, we have fun at Christmas. We put the gifts under the tree. We do all that. But we also, in our family, have taught my children to do this. And they're adult children. Now they get to do it on their own. And, uh, and as they look at this list, they can begin to say, okay, man, I'd like to give. And maybe there's something on there that's touching your heart. Maybe you look at something and you say, wow, maybe I could give that amount. Or maybe I can give 100 of that or 200 or 500 or whatever. Whatever God lays on your heart. And you begin to pray. And as God gives it, you give it. And you just earmark it for birthday gift to Jesus. When, when you come in, make sure you designate it as such. So you can give online give uh, through the mail or give through the offering boxes there. But you're going to hear about this every week, and uh, and we're going to continue, and you're going to share, we're going to share every week a little bit more about another mission on there. And so I'm thankful for the Light of Life Rescue Mission right here in Pittsburgh. John Mimis, one of our very own, serving there uh, faithfully. He's ministering. It's a, it's a ministry job. So he goes down there, and he's ministering every day. And I love talking to Johnny about what he does over there. God's using them in a powerful way. And so the, the, there's needs all around the world. And so we're getting to, we start right at home and go all the way around the world. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to continue to sing this morning, and let's worship the Lord. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord, and I thank you for all that you're doing. God, you've been so good to us. You have, uh, you have cared for us in such powerful ways. God, I thank you for the, the trunk and treat. I thank you for the, the thousand 
people plus people that came up. And we're just so thankful for all that you did, Lord, and how that you used our church family, Lord. They, they didn't just come out. They came out and served. They were here in full force. They're bringing neighbors and families and friends. And, God, you, you're doing what only you can do. You said if we would lift you up, that you would draw all men and women unto yourself. So, God, I thank you that you, you are doing that, Lord. Give us the strength to continue to lift you on high. God, I ask that you'll do some complete miracles in our life. As we gather today, we hear your word, and we look forward to what you're going to do. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the way you've been faithful in giving, Lord. You have provided to us. Lord, as our people have been, uh, been cared for, you have cared for them. You have provided 100% of what we have. Lord, as we give back to you now, it's, it's a moment of trust. It's a spiritual growth sign where we intentionally give unto you and we say thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, God, this belongs to you. And as we give, Lord, I pray you'll bless each gift and each giver, Lord. Uh, Lord, as we prepare for the birthday gift of Jesus, I pray you'll supply these needs over and above. Teach our people about faith. Lord, uh, surprise us with your provision that we may give to you and bless your name around the world. In your precious name we pray. Amen.
You may be seated, please. I think I could sing that song every week, couldn't you? That is so powerful. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Amen. This morning, we're thrilled to have with us Eric McElvenny. As you know, Eric is one of our members of the church. He's, uh, he serves here every week. I'll tell you what, I was so proud. He went out and, and uh, competed in the Paralympics, and, uh, and then he came in, and we, you know, he was trying to keep a low cover, and I remember he walked in over here. It was a 9.30 service. I saw him coming. I'm like, come on up, Eric, and everybody went crazy, and, and then the second service, I said, you have to come on up. He goes, well, I'm helping in the kids' ministry. I said, well, they can do without you for a couple minutes, right? And he never came up, and I said, what's going on? He goes, well, I was serving the kids, and I couldn't leave. Can we thank God for that? That's what I love about this guy. That's what I love about him. So come on up, Eric. Eric is going to share his story this morning, but I just got to share this with you. I was I was so happy. Uh, we're, we did the trunk and treat. We had all these people out there. And now I want you to look at Eric, and I want you to look at me, okay? And uh, and some kid, a little kid goes up to him and says, hey, are you Pastor Ken? And I said, I want to hug that kid. Where is he, all right? Let's welcome Eric McElvenny. That's a that's a true story. <laughs> We're twins. <laughs> All right, brother. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, though. And thank you so much. Pastor Ken, thanks for this opportunity to come up and to share some more of my story with everyone. Uh, I just want to thank everyone here, uh, my church family. It's, it was really an amazing opportunity and experience going over to Tokyo and competing in the Paralympics. And uh, you, you've supported me and my family uh, throughout this whole thing, and it, it really, really meant a lot. And you just so much prayer and encouragement, monetary support. Like you guys helped my family and I do this, and I'm thankful. So thank you so much, and I'm proud and glad to be part of this church family. So uh, I, I want to quickly let you into to my life, what's kind of going on, and, and I get to show you right here. I got a new pair of glasses this week. I don't even wear glasses. <laughs> I guess I do now. But I noticed this driving at night was a little bit harder. And last week I picked up the wrong kid from school. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That didn't really happen. But I do. My, uh, my daughter, Lupe, who was up here on the keys a little bit earlier, she's in the Bethel Park Marching Band. And she plays the saxophone very well. And uh, I go to the games. I've been going to the games and, and at halftime kind of cheering her on. And I find her on the field and watch her. I'm like, oh, she is doing good. This is awesome. I pull my phone out and, and zoom in and get a picture. And I did it a couple weeks. And I uh, kept forgetting I, I had pictures. And finally, after it was like week four or five, I showed her the picture. And I'm like, hey, Lou, this is you on the field. And she says, Dad, that, that's not me. <laughs> I, I was cheering for the wrong kid for that entire season. And, and she says, Dad, that's not even a girl. That's <laughs> it was a six foot two tuba player. <laughs> I'm like, I need to go get my eyes checked. <laughs> and I go and I get my eyes checked. And the doctor, uh, she was easy on me. She says, yeah, you can use these corrective lenses here. And uh, she's fitting me for the glasses. Uh, I, I made sure to, to tell her. I'm more like asking the question. Uh, I said, you know, I've been working on the computer a lot more this past year than I have before, and it's probably that screen time that's that's bothering my eyes. I hear that kind of damages your eyes sometimes. And she says, no, nah, that's not it. You're just getting older. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't hear the er. I heard I heard you're getting old. <laughs> that's what I felt. I didn't. 
I didn't want to hear that at first, but then I thought about it, and I, you know, I, I embrace it. You know, I, I think it's cool. Getting older means you're gaining more life experiences, which is cool. And if you're doing it correctly when you're getting older, you are becoming more mature. And if you're doing it correctly, you're becoming more wise, and I'll take that. And for me, over this past uh, these past few months, this past, past few years, uh, this trip to Tokyo and coming back, I have realized that I have grown and matured spiritually. And that's what I want to share with you today, how, how that happened. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what's special. So I, uh, when I talk about growing and maturing spiritually, I became a Christian uh, 11 years ago. And that was the most important decision I've made in my life. You know, I put my faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ. But after that, then you begin that walk, and that's when you grow spiritually. So it was really cool to actually recognize growth. Um, there's a verse, Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I know that um, God is working with me and I'm walking with him and he'll give me the endurance and um, yeah, there we go. All right, so this, the trip to Tokyo was, was pretty amazing, but the whole journey was what was special. And the journey, the, really the pinnacle for me wasn't actually in Japan. Uh, it was in England. It was in Leeds, England, a few months before the race in Japan. It was at a qualifying race. So that's what I want to talk about real quick and kind of set the stage. Uh, I was in Leeds, England. England it's like north central England. Honestly, it was a lot like this. There was a lot of like rolling hills and grassland and uh, farms. It was it was a pretty cool place to be. And I was getting ready to race. It was my big. It was my first big qualifying race. And at this point, I was ranked 16th in the world in my category. My category of disability is below the knee impairment and above the elbow impairment. So we race together. The Paralympics are broken down in different categories. And I race in triathlon. And the triathlon in the Olympics is a sprint triathlon. It's a, you know just over an hour race for us. It's, it's kind of fast and furious, and your just heart rate is pegged at the top the entire time. It's a, it's a cool race. So being ranked 16th, uh, I knew they were only going to take the top nine. The top nine in my class in the world were going to qualify and go to the Paralympics in Tokyo. And I had already done the math of what races I had coming up, and I knew I had to get at least third place in this race. And the race starts, right? And we do the swim, get out of the swim, get on the bike and, and hammer through the bike ride. And I get off the bike, and I'm in like fifth or sixth place. There are a few of us that got off together, and we ran through transition. And I ran through transition with my bike. I put my bike on its rack. I grab my, my prosthetic run leg, and I'm putting this thing on. And I see, out of the corner, corner of my eye, I see an athlete running out of transition onto the run course. And this athlete, uh, he's, he's from Spain. And he was in fourth place at this point, so that puts me at least fifth place. And when I saw him running out, you know, my, my heart kind of dropped a little bit. Like, I, uh, I, I've raced him before, and he's faster than me. It's like, uh-oh, how am I going to catch him and then someone else? Is my road to Tokyo over? And I end up, I put my leg on, and I start running. And there's not enough time to really think about it in a race because, you know, you're racing. So I just figured anything can happen. I'm just going to go and do my thing and leave it all out there. And I start running, and within about... I'd say half of a mile, like I kind of see him and I'm, I realize that I am 
closing that gap on him. And I'm running and I'm like, okay. And it's like 20 feet and it's like 15 feet and it's 10 feet. And it's like, I'm going to pass him. I'm going to pass him. I'm going to move myself into fourth and then we'll see, you know, we'll worry about the next guy next. And as I'm getting close, uh, I start going through my plan. When I pass someone, you know, I have a little strategy. First, I want to look very fresh. So I'm trying to like get my shoulders up and back and then I'm going to run past him faster than I can, I can keep going because I want him to think like, oh, this guy's fresh. I can't stay with him. I'll let him go. So I do that. And then the next thing I do is I like to say goodbye in their foreign tongue. So I run by him. I'm like, adios, amigo. And I keep running. And I'm just, I didn't, I don't know why I said that. That didn't really happen. I didn't know you can't, there's not enough time to talk in those races. But I did look fresh and I went running by him nice and hard, looking good. And it worked because I make the next, I make the next turn and he's not there with me. I'm like, okay, I'm in fourth place. I run the next mile and then we start the next loop. One mile left. And that's where I see the next athlete in front of me. And it's like, oh my goodness, I see him. He's like 30 feet away, 25 feet. I'm gaining on him pretty quickly. And as I'm getting closer, I see his coach kind of lean out to him. And he holds up three. He's like, you're in third, I think. I didn't have the glasses yet, so I think he held up a three. That's how I took it. I was like, okay, he must be in third. If I pass him, I'm going to be in third. My road to Tokyo is still alive, so I'm going to keep going. And I just keep running after about a quarter of a mile. We have three quarters of a mile left. That's not a lot of race, but I am about to make the pass. And I don't know what language they even speak in Luxembourg, so I can't worry about that. But I, but I try to make myself fresh, and it's like this strategy has worked before, and I go running by him nice and hard. And at this point in the race, we have three turns left. The first one is a U-turn. So you're going up, and you go around a cone, and then you basically run back that same road on the other side. And in a U-turn, you get to see the people behind you. You can see how much of a, I, you know, I was thinking I could see how much of a gap I'm creating. You know, hopefully it's 10, 15. That'd be great if it's 20 feet already. So we have that U-turn, and then we go up a hill. It's a pretty steep hill. And then there's another U-turn. So now it's like I get to see it again. Then we go down a hill, and then we make this left, and that's where the finish line is. And so we hit that first U-turn, and I'm about to turn around and see this gap. And I'm thinking, okay, 15 feet, and I'm flying right now. This is good. And I, I make that turn, and he is right on my shoulder. I could feel him breathing down my neck. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, he has to be hurting as bad as I am. At this point, my legs are heavy. My legs are heavy. Uh, my lungs are burning. It's hard. It's hard. But it's like, okay, okay, I, I'm going to take this hill. I'm actually really good on hills for some reason. I think I have a big butt. But it's, it helps push me up the hill. And I'm like, I, I take that hill like a Marine, right? And I run up that hill and I make that next U-turn. It's like, okay, we're going to have at least seven feet in between me and him. And I'm going to take it to the end. And I, I make that turn. And nope, he is right on me. In fact, he passes me. He passes me on the inside. And he starts booking down that hill. And that, that his gap starts to grow. It's five feet. It's seven feet. And I see my chances of going to Tokyo, going down the drain. And then it hit me. It's like, hey, here, I'm here. You know, I can do, I can do anything for a minute and a half, right? I can go through whatever pain I need to. I am going to leave everything out here. I am not going to let him get away. I'm going to turn this into a race. And I just start, I dig in and I start going down this hill as hard as I can. And that gap, again, starts to close. It's at five feet. 
it's at two feet. I could basically reach out and touch him. And we have this hard left turn and then about 150 yards, about a football field and a half of flat to the finish line. And we make that turn. For some reason, he takes it wide and I take it in short. And my momentum takes me past him and I'm running and I just turn it on. I'm running as hard as I possibly can. Everything hurts. I am dizzy. Uh, my Again, my, my heart is like beating through my chest. Uh, and I'm just putting one leg in front of the other as hard as I can. I don't know if he's going to pass me on the right. Now, I'm scared he might pass me on the left. I don't know if I should start zigzagging, but I see that finish line, and I'm just, I'm just going for it. And it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer, and bam, I come across that finish line, and I collapse. I went down. I went down hard, and I'm laying there. I'm trying to open my eyes. I'm trying to catch my breath, and I kind of look over, and I see him in the same position. We're both down, and that's when I realize I, I beat him. I beat him by one second. I beat him by one second. And my, my road to Tokyo was still alive. That was, for me, the pinnacle of this whole journey. It was, it was so cool. Once I caught my breath again and stopped seeing double, I'm like, all right, we're here. And then all I had to do now, I had the following week, I had to go to France, and I had to get second place. And then the week after that, I had, I had a race in the United States, and I had to, I had to win that. And then I, I could qualify. So there's still a lot that needed done, but it didn't end quite there. And there's a verse, Colossians 3.23, that I like. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And I, you know, what, you know, what that tells me is whatever you're doing. At that point in time, I was training and racing and running in triathlon. Um, but if you're home, maybe you're, you're, in, you're, you're parenting. Maybe you're working, uh, you're at work you know, for your boss. Whatever it is that you're doing, work as if you're working for Jesus and, and put everything into it. Uh, all right, so I do want to get into that race in France. That was the next thing and the next qualifying thing and, and get to, um, <laughs> there's, there's a cool looking picture there. But uh, first, quick background to who I am. I know some of you know, know my background and my story, so I'm gonna, but I'm going to go through it, through it anyways. And, uh, I, so I grew up in Ross Traver Township. Uh, I went, uh, I'm, I'm the really good looking guy in the front row with the, with the red sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm glad I didn't wear that sweater today. I still have it. That would have been awkward. But um, grew up, uh, went to Bell Vernon area high school, played football and baseball there. I ended up going to the United States Naval Academy, uh, which is challenging, but it was it was really cool. And I, the most important thing that happened to me at, at the Naval Academy, that's where I met my wife, Rachel. And I know many of you know Rachel, and if not, like just, she is, she's actually she's the one on the left. If you're looking at it, but uh, if you don't know Rachel, like she is, uh, I mean, if you ask her to do something, she puts her full heart into it. Uh, she is an amazing parent. She is an amazing woman. Every day I fall more in love with her. Um, but yeah, that's us. And I met her. God has blessed me by putting her into my life. We graduated. Uh, she became an officer in the United States Navy. Myself, an officer in the United States Marine Corps. And a lot happened really quick. A Lupe showed up. We had a Lupe. Uh, we, we got married. We um, moved out to the, to the West Coast, started deploying. We did five deployments. And um, right before my last deployment, while she was out and about uh, fighting pirates off the coast of Africa, uh, her sister actually invited me to a church out in San Diego. And I went a couple times. And it was in that church where, where I learned and where I decided to, to put my faith and trust into Jesus. And that's when I became a Christian. Uh, following that, following that deployment, she came back. I deployed over to Helmand Province, Afghanistan, 
and I think we have a picture of me over there. Yeah, that was a cool place. But uh, I was there operating in Helmand Province for about three and a half months. And on December 9th that year, uh, my life changed. Uh, on a dismounted patrol walking around one of the villages, I stepped on an IED, an improvised explosive device. And uh, that's what led to the amputation of my right leg below the knee. Uh, but the Marines in the area, they came to me, they took care of me, my corpsman saved my life, they got me out of there because that's what we do, we take care of each other. Uh, one other Marine was injured uh, in that incident and we were helicopter, took a helicopter flight to surgery and I was into surgery within 40 minutes. And when I woke up after surgery, um, you know, I realized that my, my life had changed. I, I was missing my leg and uh, things were going to be different now. And truthfully, you know, for that first couple of days and, and weeks, it was, it was scary. Uh, it, you know, it, it was. I didn't know what was next. You know, now I'm. You know, I was a marine. Now, now what? What am I going to do? And um, I just. It wasn't something I was anticipating, and not something I expected. Has anything unexpected ever happened in your life? Yeah, of course it has. And uh, Proverbs three five, I think, uh, sets sets us straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Uh, I even though I didn't know what I was going to do, you know, I, I, I was a Christian, and I had my you know I had a rock to lean on, and I knew that hey, as, long, as long as I'm walking. With, with Christ, um, God is going to lead me uh, on the right path. He has a plan for me. And that was comforting. So uh, the first and most important thing that he did was put important people in my life. And um, <laughs> one of those important people, I think it's pretty obvious, um, is, is my daughter, Lupe. I think we have a picture of Lupe and myself in the hospital bed. <laughs> and pr- prior to deploying, she looked at me like Superman, and then I got hurt. And I wasn't Superman anymore, and I was scared how she was going to handle it. But uh, my wife, uh, when she got the news, the, the morning... Uh, the next morning, before Lupe was five years old, before she went off to kindergarten, my wife told her the news. She said, Lupe, Daddy got hurt at work. Daddy lost one of his legs, and he's coming home. We need to be there to support him. And really quickly, Lupe asked the question, well, when is Daddy coming home? And uh, my wife said, in about a week, about six to seven days. And Lupe, she kind of sits back and takes 10 seconds to process all of this, and then she smiles. And she says, Daddy's going to be home for Christmas. And I thought that was such a cool response. You know, it was so negative to, to me and to my, my, my wife and my parents. She just so innocently and purely, like a child, pulled something positive from that situation. And, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, Jesus talks about this in the Bible as well, Mark 10:15. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And right, a child, an innocent child, right, looks at you know their parents who love them and care for them, uh, just just follows them faithfully. And you know, as as adults, you know, we have lived in this world and experienced this world, and a lot of it rubs up, rubs off on us. And you know, some some worldly things, just power and prestige and. Um, arrogance and pride and that that I can do this myself feeling you know that that kind of enters us and uh, Jesus is saying you know I want you to humble yourself you know you can't do this on your own you need me and uh, when we can do that and we can innocent innocently and just purely have our faith in Christ that's that's what matters so um 
after my injury, I ended up setting a goal to run an Ironman triathlon. Because that just made a lot of sense, right? Missing a leg, go run an Ironman. And an Ironman, it's a, it's a race that takes an entire day. It's a triathlon as well, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit longer, a little bit more physical endurance involved. And uh, I, 22 months after my injury, I, was, I towed the line of the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. And 11 hours and 54 minutes after that race started, I came busting across that finish line and you know, I, I hit that goal and finished it. And I think we have a picture of me coming across the, the finish line in Kona, Hawaii. Uh, it was awesome. It was, it was so cool. I can't put the emotions into words. I can't even make that face. I don't even know what I was doing there. It was cool. But throughout that journey and after it, it was interesting. People started asking me to come and, and share my story with them. And at first, I was like, oh, I really don't want to, but okay, I will. And I did it and did it and did it, and I kept doing it. And then I noticed that uh, um, it, turned into, it turned into what I was doing for a living. I started traveling around the country and, and sharing my story. And that really quickly, I realized, like, wow, that's right now. Right now, that's what God has me doing. And every audience is different. Sometimes it was at a church. Sometimes it was at a company or a corporation. But I realized in every talk, I can get up. And I can let people know that I am a Christian. That's how I want people to know me, not as an athlete, but, but as a Christian. I can let them know I'm a Christian, and my number one priority is my faith. And that was built into every talk, and um, that, you know, it's something that I got to do. Something that I love to do, run triathlons. God used that to, uh, to allow me to glorify him, which is cool. I, for some reason, kept running Ironmans after that. I've done eight of them and just a bunch of other races. And then in 2018, so just a few years ago, um, we had to make a decision, my wife and I. And because I was approached by my friend, Jamie Brown, who is, he's also a leg amputee, just like myself, and he races. But he was already trying to qualify for Tokyo. And he was in it, and he was doing it, and he's been doing it for years, and he was ranked in the top five in the world. And I was with him, and he said, hey, Eric, why don't you stop this whole Ironman thing for a little bit, come over and try to qualify with me, to, and two of us can go to Tokyo. We'll have a better shot at winning a medal, and we can push each other. And I was like, oh, all right, that sounds great. At first, like, that's motivating. It's like, why would I not try to go to the Paralympics? Uh, but there, there are reasons why I shouldn't go to the Paralympics. And that's what those little obstacles, what jumps into your head immediately. And, you know, for one, I was an endurance guy. I was an Ironman guy. How is that going to translate to a sprint triathlon where you're going as hard as you can, as fast as you can for a lot less of a time? I don't know how I was going to stack up against other people. Uh, it was going to be hard financially. Uh, these races, like he, he was on the U.S. national team. So he was funded to go around the world and, and do these races. I would have had to fly myself all around and, and figure that out. Like, that's, that's not easy. And not only that, the weekends that I'm not there and the weeks that I'm gone, like, I can't go around and do my speaking as well. So you know, that was tough. Um, the sacrifice, just not only myself but my family, is that was big a lot of time away from home uh just the training you know waking up at four i wake up at four thirty and get my first workout in you know do some work and multiple workouts it's it's hard <laughs> it, it's challenging and that scares you away a little bit that scared me away a little bit and the last the last thing is the chance of me actually qualifying this is the end of 2018 beginning of 2019 the chance of me in a year and a half Jumping up in the rankings enough to even have a chance to qualify for Tokyo was, was slim. It, it was small. Um, and that, that scared me. I didn't want to 
spend two years of my life working at this thing as hard as I could for me to fall short. Uh, and it was kind of funny. I was at a um, vacation with my family and some friends, and we were sitting at the breakfast table, and I was trying to explain to them, like, this is one of the reasons that this is, I haven't committed to this yet because the chances aren't good of me actually qualifying. You know, even if I figure this thing out really quickly to be able to jump in the rankings and to get into all these races and, and to do it, the, the chances are, are low. And then Lupe, she just busts out, you know, as we're sitting there quiet, she says, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's awesome. All right, we did it. And the one thing that my wife and I did really well during this whole process is we approached it prayerfully. You know, and, and we prayed. We prayed about it and said, hey, God, is this what we should be doing right now? And uh, are you going to help along the way? You know, just shut the door whenever you want. And uh, we prayed about it a lot. And that's what uh, Philippians 4, 6 tells us to do. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray about everything. And we did. And we prayed and prayed and felt like we, we had the green light. And Jamie Brown put in a good word for me to the USA Triathlon National Team. And they helped me get into some of the, these races. And early on, I got some races. I got to go to Portugal. Uh, I got to go to Spain. I did a race in the United States. And I started getting points. So I went from not being ranked out of... 85 athletes to all the way down into the mid-20s. I mean, in the mid-20s, but the top nine are the ones that are going to qualify. And I had this option in February 2020, and I had an opportunity where they got me into a race in Australia. And it was a big race. It was the, the heavily weighted, most heavily weighted race that I was at, so it was big points, and I had a chance to go out and to prove myself and the USA national team, they even put my name in the magazine. They said, Eric McElvin, he's about to make his debut at the Devonport, Australia race. Follow him. And I was like, yeah, I'm stoked. I'm going to go do this. And I go out all the way to Australia, and I do this race, and I get second to last. It was... It was humiliating. <laughs> have, you, have you ever had like a rough day or, or something bad happened, then you got to like drive home, and that drive home feels like it takes forever because you keep running it through in your mind? Well, I had 24 hours of flying to come home, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is miserable. I, I failed. I failed big. But the, the cool thing is like my family back here, they were following me online. It was... Um, it was live stream, so they were watching it. And at one point, my sister said, thank God for Finland. Because the athlete from Finland was the only guy that I beat. <laughs> he did not get dead last. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess it could have been worse, right? But I come back, and I, 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 there's another race where I can go prove myself, but then the pandemic starts. You know, COVID-19, the lockdowns start, and everything gets put on the back burners, and you know, I, everything changed at that point. You know, people were, were losing jobs and this and that. That no longer was very important, but it was still there. They ended up delaying the Olympics and Paralympics an entire year, so it got pushed out, and uh, we started moving through our lives. And at that point, I was traveling around the country speaking to groups and there were no groups anymore so i had a lot less work uh so you know there was a lot i had to put a lot of faith in 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 christ and it, it was tricky and there was one point it was in in falls past fall where um i i was upset you know i i was actually anxious and i was out in my backyard sitting on a swing with, with my wife that we never sit on. I don't even know why we have that swing. But, but we were on that swing, and I was saying, hey, I think it's time for, for us to like stop this 
um, this journey to try to qualify for Tokyo because it's, I don't think it's going to happen. It's not working. And instead of like just her hearing all this negative stuff, she said, okay, let's just, let's just pray about it. And we held hands and we prayed about it right then and there. Uh, and a few weeks later, I got, it wasn't even a few, it might have been a week and a half later, uh, I got an invitation from the USA national team to go to this training camp in Florida. So December 2020, I go down to this training camp. It was two weeks, and I performed really well. It was really cool. And again, it opened their eyes like, oh, wait, this guy still might have a chance. Like maybe that Australia race wasn't him. And uh, we even did a little race at the end, and it just went really well. And they're like, okay, I think we're going to try to give you another chance. This is, this is, this is kind of cool. And so the next year, um, 2021, beginning, beginning of the year, the World Triathlon had to make a decision. You know, at that point, um, it was hard to travel around the world because of the restrictions, because of COVID. And they were trying to decide if they were going to open up qualification again for the Paralympics or if they were going to just take the top nine at that point. And, and those guys would be the ones to go race each other. And so being I was at that point ranked 16th. Uh, I would not have been able to go to the Paralympics. And it's like, I couldn't control it. I was okay with it. It's like, well, whatever happens, you know, happens. And they come out in early March and they announced that, all right, we're opening up qualifications at the end of May. This is going to be a rapid June. There's going to be four races starting at the end of May, once a week throughout the world. And everyone's going to get a chance to go and show what they got and try to jump up in the rankings and qualifying's done at the end of June. So I was like, yes, that is awesome. And again, you know, my Rachel and I are looking at each other like there's still a chance that we're going to do this. And uh, right after that, she gets COVID-19 and she gets sick. And it, I'm grateful that it, she didn't have it bad. You know, it was, she was down for a couple hours and then she was up and about and we did our quarantine. And then I got it, of course, because, you know, I'm married to her and I got it. And again, I'm grateful that both of us, it wasn't bad for either of us, but um, it did linger with me when, when it came to training. I realized that for about a month, you know, I was, I was struggling finishing my swim sets and I'd still work out and I'd go on a run, but I'd fatigue really quickly, not finish things. And it, so it was kind of tough. I was, I was like, I don't know if this is ever going to come back or not. But after about a month, I was feeling good and I start training again. And, and, um, I find out that I get into that first race in May again, big race, heavily weighted. I get to go to Japan, um, and, and, and race. And uh, the, the week is approaching. I, get, I send out my passport. To, I had to get a visa. And I don't know, it got sent back to me in the mail. And it's Sunday. I'm leaving Monday. And I realize I do not have my passport yet. It's still in the mail. And I go digging around, figuring out it's somewhere in the Pittsburgh area. It's lost. <laughs> my passport gets lost. I'm supposed to go to Japan the next day. And I'm supposed to fly out Monday morning. And my passport doesn't show up till Monday afternoon. And we try to reach out to Japan to see if I can come a day late and still still race. But because of the restrictions, they wouldn't let me. So I miss another opportunity. And now that, like, that chance I was already kind of low is, is even lower. And at that point, Rachel says, well, you know, God is really cutting this thing pretty close here. If you end up going to Tokyo, you can take zero credit for it. This is all this is going to be all God if, if he works this thing out. And I was like, yeah, I got it. And the USA... The national team, they felt kind of bad because they are the ones that mailed back my passport. And um, they said, we're going to make sure you get these three races. So I got into Leeds and I went well enough. I'm, I'm, you know, I jumped into the rankings down to like 12. So I'm still a couple out. I had to get second place in France. I had to. 
And uh, I did. I got second place by 29 seconds, which is a lot more comfortable than one second. It still hurt. (laughs) And then I had to win in, uh, it was a race in Wisconsin against just North and South American athletes. But that was going to give me enough points if I won that race to get into the top nine. My buddy, Jamie Brown, he was doing that race as well. And another guy that we were a little bit scared of was a a guy named... uh, uh, George from Brazil. But uh, we go out and do that race, and uh, Jamie had a better day than me that day. He, he beat me off the bike, and he starts his run, and I'm, I'm running him, trying to run him down. And at that last mile, uh, I don't think he'll admit it, but he let up. He let up a little bit and let me pass him. So I crossed that finish line first, and we both qualified. So we were the only country to have two uh, of us represent from, from Team USA in, in the world. So we both got to go and do this race. And a week goes by, and then they make the announcement who made the Team USA for the Paralympics. And then chaos ensues. It was crazy. I was getting phone calls from all kind of people. I was seeing my picture in the paper and, you know, getting radio interviews. It, like, it was, it was wild. It was overwhelming, way bigger than I expected. And I, I mean, I appreciate it. I thank everyone for, 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 for that. But, um, it's kind of hard mentally as well. I ended up going out to Colorado Springs for a month of training where that was at the Olympic Training Center, which was very cool. I mean, that was that was a pretty amazing experience as well. And then out to Tokyo and Tokyo. I, I, the, I didn't really get to experience the city of Tokyo very much because of the restrictions and, the, and the, still the lockdown. Um, but I was grateful that they held the Olympics and Paralympics. And the cool thing, the coolest thing for me, I thought, was walking around the Paralympic Village. And uh, just so neat. Every building is like a high-rise building with, with a country or two in it. And you see the flags everywhere. And you see people of all different uh, countries walking around. It's very unifying. I became friends with, with you know, a lot of the people I was about to race with. And, um, you know, and I think even more inspiring than the Olympic Village. In the Paralympic Village, there's, you know, guys walking around on these prosthetic legs. You know, two prosthetic legs. There's guys in wheelchairs, guys and girls in wheelchairs. Um, there's blind people like walking into walls and stuff. It was pretty. <laughs> uh, that didn't really happen. But but it was so cool seeing everyone. And it was the the world. They were the best in the world at their craft. And to be part of that was so cool. And it takes us to race morning. Uh, there's a picture of me race morning, getting ready to get into the water, and it was a, a really neat moment. This is moments before we're about to get in, and if it looks like uh, I have my composure together and I'm, I'm there and mentally ready for this race, that assumption would be very far from the truth. <laughs> I'm actually still wearing, you see that big white thing I'm wearing? I'm about to get in the water with an ice vest on, <laughs> and you're not allowed to do that. That would have been immediate disqualification. And I was wearing an ice vest because most of us wore it. It was a strategy 30 minutes prior to this race during warm-ups, uh, it was so hot and humid in Tokyo. It was in, at 6.30 in the morning. It was in the 80s and going up. It was over 80% humidity, uh, 87 degree, the water temperature. It was so hot that we wore this ice vest, and like everyone was doing it. But uh, we were told a million times, hey, when you, are, when you walk down to the start line, take that vest off, put it in this box, put your leg where you need it, and then come sit at the edge. And I just so much was going through my head that I forgot. So I'm sitting at the side. I'm like, oh, man, 
I look down, I'm like, uh-oh, I have my ice vest on, and I like rip it off real quick, and I throw it behind me. I get into the water, I say a quick prayer, and I just ask for God to be there with me during that race. Uh, I count down, the horn goes off, and chaos ensues again. It's just the start of a race, of a sprint triathlon, is just crazy. You're going as hard as you possibly can for about 200 yards because you're jockeying for position. You're trying to get on someone's feet so you can be on their draft, and you know who these other races are, and we're just going at it and bumping into each other. And, you know, then it starts to settle down a little bit and you're working hard, but I get my bearings and I can see, I can see two athletes pretty far ahead uh, and another group just ahead of me that I was trying to stay with. And that's kind of what I expected. I, I got out of the water kind of where I expected. The, the swim is not really my strength. Uh, we get on the bike ride, kind of rip around. I was in seventh place on the bike. Um, there's ended up, they opened it up the field for one more, so there's 10 of us racing, so I'm in seventh. And then someone comes ripping by me. That was the only change, really, in, on the bike course was uh, Hideki from Japan. He ended up getting a silver medal. Uh, he passed me on the bike. So I get off the bike. I'm in eighth place, and I uh, put on my run leg, and I just get out there and go. And it's like, all right, I'm in Tokyo, Japan. I'm at the Paralympics. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave everything out here. And I ran as hard as I could. Uh, I was, you know, putting ice around me, and I was dumping water on my head because it was, it was hot. It was humid. But I ended up passing two athletes. I was in sixth place. And I come to the final stretch. It's the blue carpet. And uh, I can't, the, the guy in front of me, he's crossing at this point. So I wasn't going to catch him. And I look back and there's no one behind me. And I'm just like, I'm going to kind of enjoy this, this part of the race. And this is, there's a video of me finishing. Maybe. <laughs> And it was it was funny when when my wife saw me. As we see McIlvaney wrapping things up for the United States here, a strong run for him has moved him from eighth all the way up to sixth. That's a so. great showing for Eric. Look at that. There's a smile. Eric McIlvaney's first Paralympic Games will net him a top six finish. Not bad for a guy that punched his ticket to Tokyo until less than two months ago. That's right. And we have a Naval Academy grad, former Marine. So here's here's a veteran cross on the line for us in the United States. Great five pay for McIlvaney to gain a couple of spots here and finish sixth. Thank you. Thank you. And this picture, this picture right here, I love it. I'm glad someone captured it. Uh, if, you, if you can't see, if you're like me and you need glasses, <laughs> I'm holding up my, my, I got my finger up and I'm, I'm looking up. And it's not because I won that race. <laughs> I was in six, right? <laughs> but um, I, I just, I was giving glory to God at that point, you know, looking up and, and thanking him for taking me on that journey. So it was it was amazing. It really was amazing. And then what happens after that is you have to come home. And and I, I gotta share with you, coming home is hard. You know, there's a lot of Olympians, Paralympians, or just big events when you, you are working so hard, so hard up until that point. Everything that, that you do is has something to do with that race and how I'm going to get faster, what you're putting into your body, and when you're training, and this and that. And all of a sudden, after an hour and six-minute race, bam, it's done. And then there's this void. And this is where I recognize spiritual growth. Because I've, I've experienced this before. You know, when I was serving in the Marines, you know, I was a Marine. I was serving a purpose larger than myself. Right? I was needed. I was needed to help defend this country. And then when I transitioned out of the Marine Corps, it was hard. And, and a lot of veterans, I think that's why, that's why we, we struggle. Because all of a sudden now you're not serving that purpose. Maybe you're not, you don't feel needed and there's that void. 
And same thing happened after the Iron Man. A lot went into that Iron Man training for it, bam, 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 and then boom, it was done. And for a month after that first Iron Man, it's like, I'm kind of depressed. You know, it's like post, my, my friend called it post Iron Man depression. It's like, what, what is there to train for now? And um, I knew that I was going to, I knew that I was going to feel some form of that coming back from Tokyo. And I have to be honest with you, I, I really didn't. You know, I felt it a little bit, but I realized that my identity is not as an athlete. My identity is not as, as an athlete. My identity is in Christ. And you still, you still feel that letdown. A little bit. You still feel it. It's like, okay, you know, that, that, that was tough. But with Christ, it's not devastating. And I, I feel like everyone, you know, after a big event, you can, you can think of it right now, when you feel that void, like, it's there. It's there, but it's not devastating with Christ. I mean, if I would have won that race, if I would have got that gold medal, it would have brought me a lot of joy, right? I would be up on this stage wearing it right now. <laughs> my, my lower back would be sore because that thing is heavy. <laughs> and I got to hold one. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, and that would have brought me joy. But I'll tell you that that is temporary joy. It's temporary joy. In a few years from now, I think I would be sitting in the garage collecting dust. Or I probably would have sold it on eBay. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, eternal joy comes from Jesus. That's not temporary joy. Everything in this world is, is temporary. And when you start thinking eternally, that's, that's what's important. So I, I talked a little bit, like, I recognized my spiritual growth, and um, that's important. And for spiritual growth, you kind of, you have, you have to be in the Bible. You have to learn and understand and, and pray and, and serve, and we were doing that, and that's how I, I grew. But um, I'll, I'll tell you what, like, that's not, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that, that beginning, that putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, just knowing and understanding that God sent his son to live on this earth as a, as a human being, perfect. As a perfect human being, to die on the cross as a sacrifice for, for our sins. You know? And to understand that. And to understand that three days later he rose and, and defeated death. Now that, putting your faith in Christ is that first step. And after that you can begin your spiritual walk. So uh, this, this final verse. Uh, Mark 8:34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciple and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must delay themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Uh, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you. Thank you for today. Uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for this church family. And uh, thank you for the strength and courage that you give us. And thank you for um, the gift of your son and life with you. Uh, God, I just ask that if there's anyone in this room who wants to start that relationship with you, that uh, you're with them as, as they pray, as they pray this prayer. God, I, I admit I admit that I am not perfect and that I sin. I mess up. Uh, God, I know that you sent, and I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to live that perfect life and to die as a sacrifice for my sins. And God, I make the decision right now to trust and put my faith and to follow Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.
as we respond. day. Eric McElvenny, come on up here. Let's thank God for Eric McElvenny, huh? We appreciate you, Eric. What, what, a, uh, what a powerful message. Powerful message. Your identity is not in what you do, folks. It's in Christ. And I'll tell you what, I'm thankful that God has put, put Eric out there to share that message with many other athletes. You know, I mean, he's got a big platform to use that for God. And uh, and he is. And that, that's what fires me up. I'm like, man, this guy comes to church. He's downstairs serving. He's humble. He's, he loves the Lord. And, and, and like athletes, listen to him. You know what I mean? I'm not the fellowship of Christian athletes here. This guy got it. You know what I mean? He has got it going. And God is doing it. And God is using him. And he gave him his story. And he's using it for his glory. Did you tell me you're going on another race here soon? Where are you heading? I'm going to Abu Dhabi this week. Shabby Dabi. He's going to Abu Dhabi, right? He is going Abu Dhabi, man. So let's be praying for him as he goes. And, uh, Eric, I'm going to ask you to head on back there like it's the finish line, all right? Just go ahead. Show him what you're mad at. No, I got Let's thank God for Eric McElvinney today, all right? God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great week.
chill blows away and bonfire fire warms my heart under the night sky I'm drifting off in the deep of the valley your presence surrounds me the crickets sing and trees ring and I want to let you know Sometimes think we understand the fullness of it. 